Welcome to the From Way Downtown Pacers podcast uh, for Indy Star, this, uh, Pacers editor Ben Newell. Here, of course, with uh, Pacers Dustin uh, Dolphinrack. Uh, obviously, another emergency podcast, this one over the trade for Pascal Siakam by the Pacers. Um, Dustin, just sort of uh, well, let's, uh, give us the, the details of the trade and then uh, your initial thoughts uh, on it. Yeah, no, um, so moving the Raptors' direction uh, are Bruce Brown, uh, Jordan Nora, and three first-round picks. So that is both of the picks that the Pacers held in the 2024 draft and a 2026 pick. Uh, the Raptors are also getting uh, Kira Lewis, um, who the Pacers just just now formally acquired. So there's kind of a procedural deal. Uh, you know, basically they wanted to add somebody else as part of this. The pace, the Raptors would be able to take on the Pacers apparently didn't want to give, give up anybody else. And they managed to successfully do that. Um, Lewis gets out of the deal. The Pacers add him first. Uh, and then they, they, so they had to um, release James Johnson as kind of a procedural move. They intend just as they did last year with the Bucks deal to re-sign him. Um, uh, as soon as he clears waivers, and presumably he will clear waivers because the Pacers wanted more than anybody else does. Uh, you know, he's not obviously going to play a whole lot, but they love his, you know, just veteran uh, presence, you know, on the floor. So that's how all that is apparently going to come together. Um, but, uh, yeah, my first reaction is, man, they, I, I think they really made out on this deal uh, on, on, on a lot of levels. Um, certainly it was reported, and it certainly makes sense, that uh, they were really trying to stay away from giving up Benedict Mather and Jairus Walker, and those are two guys that Toronto really, really wanted. And the fact that the Raptors were willing to deal this deal, do, willing to do this deal without one of those guys, uh, I think, you know, obviously really bodes well for the Pacers. Um, Brown is a guy that obviously had been, you know, pretty productive. I, I don't know that he'd been necessarily the lockdown defender that you wanted, but he's been a pretty decent defensive player and was giving you, you know, 12 points, right around five rebounds and right around three assists a game. Uh, we are just doing a lot of, you know, kind of dirty work stuff, working as a secondary ball handler, um, you know, scoring the ball a little bit, shooting a little bit, you know, doing some, chasing down some long rebounds, taking on some tough defensive assignments. He's not going to be easy to replace. Uh, but I think Andrew Nemhart can step into that position as the shooting guard and be a guy that can take on, you know, those kind of assignments, be a secondary ball handler. Um, I don't think the drop off from Brown to Nemhart is that drastic. Um, and so, and, and in his, you know, in his place, you bring in an, an all NBA wing, a uh, guy who's been all, all NBA twice, uh, power forward who really just, he, he fits two things really well that they needed. One was, you know, kind of a clear number two guy, another star that you can kind of pair as a running mate with Halliburton. Uh, he obviously fits that bill, bill well. He's been averaging 20 a game. He's been the star uh, at Toronto since you know, Kawhi Leonard uh, left, basically. He's been really the featured guy uh, for the Raptors. Um, and he's a guy that can score on a bunch of levels, uh, you know, can shoot from all three, can get to the rim, can handle really well for a guy his size. He's six eight two thirty, but he's got a seven three wingspan. He was was really helpful defensively and on the glass uh, for that twenty eighteen nineteen uh, Raptors team before he was kind of the featured guy. Really stood out for that group, um, and so he can he gives you the opportunity to defend guys that, ha- that they've really had a problem defending guys they haven't been able to stop. Uh, he at least gives you an answer for him. Obviously, that doesn't mean he's going to shut down Giannis every time he plays him, um, but at least he gives you a guy who sort of fits where you've been you know throwing Aaron Neesmith in that job, and Aaron Neesmith works as hard as anybody could possibly work. When you're giving up that much size, you're probably going to lose. Um, so just big, big get on that level, big get on the scoring level. Certainly if they get him on this trip before Halliburton gets back, he suddenly becomes, 
you know, the guy who's running your offense, more or less. Uh, you know, he's going to be the focal point uh, if he plays any games before Tyrese uh, comes back with his hamstring injury. So that's a, it's a big deal. It's a significant get. Um, and, you know, obviously there's the draft capital involved. Um, you know, at the end of the day, like, it's, it, I mean, this is not a great draft. You know, nobody's looking at the 2024 draft and saying, man, you're really, you know, um, if, if you're not part of this thing, man, you're missing out. Um, and obviously that can be proven wrong in the long term, as Tyrese Halliburton you know, points out again and again and again. You know, they thought that 2020 draft was going to be bad, and the Pacers have built most of their team on this 2020 draft, even though they didn't draft in it. Uh, and they didn't have a first-round pick. Uh, and I think Cassius Stanley was their guy. And I don't even know where Cassius Stanley is, but they've got, uh, you know, four guys or, you know, was Brown? Okay. No, between uh, Halliburton, Neesmith, Jalen Smith, and Obi Toppin, they've got four lottery picks uh, that have been making an impact uh, for this group. And so, you know, obviously you can you can guess wrong um, looking at a draft and saying there's not as much there as you think. But I don't think, you know, there, there's not – anybody they're looking at and saying, man, you know, like, oh, my God, we're missing out on him. Um, and, you know, additionally, if you get Pascal Siakam and, you know, presumably means you win more and you move yourself up in the standings, you certainly move down in the draft. Uh, and that draft becomes less that, – that draft pick becomes less valuable. You know, if you weren't intending on tanking this team, you're already going to be picking the mid-teens at best, um, mid to late teens at best. And, you know, this probably puts you in a situation where you're probably going to be in the 20s. Uh, and so missing out on a pick in the 20s is not a huge deal. Their second pick that they were, they were – that they moved in this – was the least favorable of Oklahoma City, the Clippers, Utah, and the Rockets. Right now, all of those teams are in the top nine in the West. Utah is, I think, the lowest of them, but they're, and they're moving up swiftly. Uh, and that doesn't really matter all that much because the Clippers and the uh, the Thunder are top four, four teams in the West, and there's no reason to believe they're not going to finish top four. I mean, the Clippers might end up really making a push to win the West. Um, you know, I could see it just being them in Denver at the end. So it's you know, you're not giving up uh, picks that were probably going to bring you um, certainly not immediate rotation players. Um, so it, it's not a big risk. And on the on the other hand of this, they put themselves in a good position, I think, to resign him. I, I, I really do. As, as Obviously, you can look at this and theoretically it's a rental because his, his contract expires. Um, the Pacers are in pretty good shape. Because of his bird rights, they get to make an offer that other teams can't. They can offer five five years. Everybody else can offer four. Um, and I just think basically that the, their entire theory of the case, as far as they're building this roster, is if somebody else, another superstar, comes and plays with Tyrese Halliburton, they're going to want to stay. You know, that, that when you have a guy that is that interested in making everybody else better uh, and wants to play this fun style of basketball, you know, you're going to get to score a bunch, and that means you're going to want to stay. Um, and so that's what they're banking on. They certainly have, they're going to have cap space that they can make available, uh, you know, to, to re-sign him. Um, so I don't think you, they look at this at all as, as thinking, you know, this is just a rental. And even if it is, I don't think it kills them because I'm not totally sure that they intended on picking up that team option from, for Bruce Brown in the first place. Um, so, you know, they, they, they have not lost that much. Jordan Orr, obviously a guy they really liked, but wanted, you know, did, have a place for him, wanted to give him another chance someplace else. I think basically this really works out for them on a lot of levels. I, I'm I'm kind of surprised, honestly, that Toronto was willing to do this deal. Uh, you know, that that's, I think, the biggest surprise for me. I understand that they knew they were going to have a hard time re-signing him themselves, um, but I am surprised that this is the best deal they could get between now and February 8th. It, yeah, that's what surprises me, too. I mean, there's a lot of stuff, layers to unpack here, but I mean, let's start with some of the criticism of Siakam is um, that he's not uh, a great three-point shooter, which is true, 
but he's and he's been up and down. I mean, he's been as low as I think he's thirty thirty one percent, something like that, this year. Uh, but he got off to a horrible start. He's better in the corners than he is above the break. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, and then on, on top of that, I mean, you've got uh, your center and Miles Turner who can shoot those threes. So I really sure. don't think that's an issue. Um, there's been some talk that he needs the ball a lot, which I think is somewhat true. But he also is averaging yes. what five five assists this year. He averaged six and a half last year. Clearly, mm-hmm. I mean, he's not a ball stopper. Uh, no. Um, even if he does need the ball. Um, so, I mean, I, I just think he's a great fit for what they need. Um, and all year we have been talking, or all season, we've been talking about how the Pacers have a bunch of good pieces, but they don't, you know, they're not in the right ratios, basically, in terms of what right. they need. And you've mm-hmm. traded Bruce Brown, a nice ball player, um, but a wing, when you're overloaded with wings, for a power forward, you know, so... Uh, I mean, it just seems like it's a great move on every level um, from that respect. Uh, I mean, I am not – I think first-round draft picks are, are overrated. Um, the issue with first-round draft picks is that if you hit on one, then it looks great. And uh, right now, the, the one of the picks, the, the lower pick the Pacers will be giving up is 27. Well, Pascal Siakam was drafted 27. So let's yeah. not pretend that a pick can't be valuable. But, it's, sure. but there's, I mean, uh, we just posted something on some of the national media giving grades, and there were a lot of Bs for the Pacers, and I just don't get it. I mean, I don't, uh, mm-hmm. I just don't see what the, I mean, the downside here is he leaves, and at that point, I don't think it's a good trade unless you really make a run in the playoffs, um, right. because that, because that draft pick in 2026 could be something. Sure. Um, but I, but you can't, you can't do this. You can't. You can't be successful in the NBA if you're the Indiana Pacers if you're not willing to take some chances. And it's a little surprising to me that there are people out there who kind of are like Pacer fans um, who aren't fired up about this deal from that standpoint. It's like, what? I mean, these deals aren't going to fall. Number one, these deals aren't going to fall on your lap. And number two, I'm not sure this nail didn't fall on their lap, just like you said, with uh, that, that yeah. Toronto could probably have done better if they'd waited. Yeah, no, I mean, I just like I, I think there was a price that was too high. I, I don't, I, I, I don't deny that. I mean, I think there are people who are like, uh, you know, he's he's pushing thirty. You know, are you how many more years you're going to get out of him that he's going to be that good? You know, like is he really the the second piece that you want? I mean, there's there's an argument to be said for okay, you know, um, he's not the long term running mate for Tyrese Halliburton that you want that that preferably that you'd like to get somebody who's no older than 25, 26, that, that is going to be coming into his prime about the same time that Halliburton is. Um, and there's something to be said for that. I mean, obviously, if you do sign Siakam to a five-year deal, do you really expect that he's going to be great at 35 when Tyrese is 28? I mean, probably not. You know, like it, it's, it's probably going to, um, you know, he's probably going to be drift, drift by then, and, and you might not be able to pair them together. But you you don't look out there and say there's somebody that's available that could be that person, number one. And number two, I mean, now that you're winning, um, it's harder to draft that guy. You know, like it, now, now that you're starting to win, you're getting yourself in playoff position, it gets harder and harder for, um, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, you, you can obviously miss or whatever, but like even if you're saying, okay, you know, uh, presume any lottery picks you take hit. Well, you're getting really to that point where you're going to get, you know, you're not getting lottery picks anymore. You're not trying to do that. When you're actively going after the playoffs, it is harder to get a guy 
um, that is that fits exactly what they need, which is again they they needed a wing that could score and defend. I mean, and if there were a lower priced guy that fit that bill, uh, they would have gladly taken him. But I don't know that there was. I mean, I, I think you know maybe uh, you know I, I think what I, one thing I've seen kicking around if if Sacramento wants to get back in, the name that's out there now is Jeremy Grant, who just resigned for five years. So you're taking on his whole deal. You really got to believe in him um, because he's. You know, I mean, he just got paid, I think, $160 million, um, and, you know, to stay in Portland. The Portland has to obviously decide if they want to part with a guy they just gave a huge extension to. Um, and so that's the next guy you're looking at. And it's just very clearly the area where they're missing something, and I don't think that they could really, really win without it. I mean, I, I think they just needed uh, they needed a guy to step in there, again, that somebody who can really defend some of those guys, because otherwise they're really getting busted up. Uh, in those matchups. I mean, you know, the other night, certainly with, with Aaron Neesmith out, they had zero answer for Lurie Markinen. I mean, none. And, you know, I mean, they, they had Andrew Nemhard on him to start, and he was giving up seven inches. And, you know, Nemhard, I thought, battled. It didn't it didn't matter if he battled, you know. Like, you just throw it to, to you know, Markinen at kind of the mid-post. Markinen just hits a turnaround jumper because, you know, when he, when he turns around, uh, his arms are nine feet in the air, and Andrew Nemhard can't jump that high. I mean, like, there's just... There's nothing. There, there's literally nothing Andrew Nembhard can legitimately do to contest that shot. I mean, he, no like best possible form that he can do. He can get, make him as uncomfortable as he can, push up on him. There is nothing he can do to stop a Laurie Market and turnaround jumper. And so he just got to hope that he misses it. You know, just get in his way, hope that you miss it. And you know, it, it's they they need somebody who can legitimately do something. And with a seven foot three wingspan like Pascal Siakam has, he can do that. He is. A, I mean, I don't think he's a great defender, but he's a pretty good one. You know, he's a pretty darn good one. He can handle those type of guys. It just they, they needed somebody like that. Um, you know, again, I get it. They're giving him he's they, they gotta give him a bunch of money. Um and, you know, uh it, it there is it, it is weird as far as your timeline is concerned. Um, but you know, I don't know. I, I, I think it's I think it's worth the risk, um, at least. You know, I, I think it's worth the risk. Um, so, you know, cause I, I just don't think you're risking that much. I, I don't, I think Bruce Brown's a nice player, but I think you can live without him. And I don't think those three picks are going to kill you. Um, especially if you look at, you know, where they're going to finish, you know, if, 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 you know, five years from now, 10, you know, 10 years from now, you look at those picks, uh, and who they're going to be. I don't know that you're going to feel like, man, it was a horrible decision to go get Pascal Siakam for those guys. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, I mean, again, I've looked at the numbers, and really, outside the top ten in the draft, if you're just flipping a coin and throwing darts and whatever you want to say it, it's not like the Pacers' draft recent draft history is great. I mean, obviously, it looks like uh, Matherin is at least a good pick. But before that, you got to go back to Miles Turner, really. Uh, yeah. Walker. I mean, Walker's got a lot of promise, but he could be anything at this point. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, and as you say, the. the well, the core of the team is a bunch of guys they acquired in trade, um, mm-hmm. which is when you look back when the when the Pacers were good, when, Donnie Walsh was a master at that stuff. It wasn't a bunch. There were some draft picks, but it wasn't because obviously Reggie Miller was one, Rick Smith. But uh, they were great teams because of the trades they made. I went through right. every trade uh, Kevin Pritchard has made since he became team president, and I am hard-pressed to find one that he lost. Um, mm-hmm. We... Uh, uh, one of our producers, Scott Horner, and I were having an argument over Jalen LeClerc for T.J. Leaf. Uh, I made the point that they lost that trade because Leaf scored 12 points in his career after he left the Pacers. 
and LeClerc scored five with the Pacers. Dear God. Scott, Dear God. Scott was saying that, you know, you if you can get rid of TJ Leaf, it's a win, period. So, But that's what we're reduced to in terms of, yeah. now again, anytime you trade Paul George, you lose. But they turned him into Barry <laughs> Halliburton. Right, There's a exactly. bunch of picks. Two steps away. Yeah, no, two steps away. And obviously, you got a – uh, you got two all stars for him. For too. a period, you you got an all star version of, of Victor Oladipo. You got an all star version of Domus Sabonis, and, and then you turned Sabonis into your franchise. And so, yeah, I mean, they have been able to stay on that track of turning that what was that Paul George draft asset into that that has been the gift that has kept on giving. And that's really important when you get a guy like that, even if he doesn't end up being the guy, uh, to continue to turn that into something and they've continued to do that um so you know three steps away um you know you you have you know your best player and your you know your franchise's future so you you can't you can't knock that deal at the end of the day at all and the and they turned oladipo into lavert they turned lavert into two draft picks that are andrew nebhart and ben shepherd and again Mm -hmm. it's one of those things you know is lavert better than nebhart and and shepherd Maybe, but maybe not. I think Nebhart's a little bit better fit for the Pacers than LeVert. But nonetheless, yeah. I mean, they he's Pritchard has continued to you know create the you know turn these uh, pieces into assets that the team needs. And again, mm-hmm. I've said this a hundred times. I, you look at it, the individual moves Pritchard's made, and I don't think there's too many. I mean, everyone has mistakes. DJ Leaf is one of his. I don't, yeah. but I don't think you can look at a bunch. Of, I mean, he's got a lot of wins. They haven't won a playoff series, a single playoff series under him. So if you want to say Kevin Pritchard is not a success because they have not won a playoff series, I can't argue with you. That's a strong argument that he has not been. But then Mm -hmm. you look at that trade list and it's like, man, he's done a good job with what he has. Sure. He, I mean, he's missed, he's missed on drafts. Uh, He's missed on drafts. There is a continual uh, fight in my mentions pointing out all of his missed picks. So uh, if any of you guys who have been on that thread uh, are listening, just know I didn't forget you. I know you guys have made your point um, over and over and over again about, uh, you know, his misses. And, and they're real. I mean, and so you can't deny that, that fact, um, you know, that, that there have been a bunch of ones where you were like, oh, man, if you would have, you know, if you, if you would have had this guy, this is how further along you'd be. You know, certainly Leaf is one of them, not just because it was Leaf. Um, and I didn't think TJ Leaf was a bad basketball player as a college guy, but, you know, OG was after him. And so that yeah. will uh, stick there. I mean, I think uh, they keep pointing this one out. Obviously, it's a different uh, deal, but the, you know, the, the George Hill deal and the fact that Kawhi Leonard was the guy that they, they took with that pick, and that's a Hall of Famer. Anytime this trade is brought up, George Hill was a better player than Kawhi Leonard. I can't remember. It's four, three or four, first three, four years there. I mean, and, yeah. and look at the numbers whatever it was, maybe it was two years. George Hill was a better player than Kawhi Leonard the first two years. Maybe it was three years. The Pacers were in win-now mode at that point. Um, They also did not know Danny Granger was going to be hurt. They never would have taken Kawhi Leonard. Again, I'm not going to be the guy who says they they won that trade. I'm just saying that trade's a little more complicated than most people wanted to make it out. Right. Of course, of course. So, I mean, I, I mean, you do obviously have to, at the end of the day, um, when you're assessing his entire tenure, you certainly have to look at the drafts and point out that there were some guys uh, who didn't work out. But, I mean, from the big trades to the small trades, you know, again, he's won on a bunch. Uh, you know, I think getting Aaron Neesmith um, as just part of a huge package 
uh, for Malcolm Brogdon when they were just trying to move on from him, you know, once they really realized that Halliburton had to be the guy um, and they couldn't afford to keep paying, you know, Brogdon to be a guy that was going to come off the bench. Um, you know, Neesmith's a, a great get, you know, a, a great get in that deal. You know, Daniel Tice, they obviously had to move on from, um, but Neesmith can, is enough to carry that deal and, and give you somebody that's going to matter, um, you know, going forward. However far they go, Aaron Neesmith is going to be a piece of it. Um, and so, you know, there there have certainly been some misses, um, but you know, the, the trades, I, I think at, at least reasonably balance out the, the losses in the draft. Um, and so, you know, I think that that's, that's your case, um, uh, certainly in, in, in his favor. And, you know, I, I just, I don't, you, you can't call this one a loss. I mean, I mean, I just would be really surprised if in three or four years, anyone thinks this was a bad decision. Um, I'll be, I'll be really surprised. That doesn't mean it's impossible. I mean, obviously Stockton could come in, you know, stub a toe and, and mess up something, you know, you, you just never know from an injury standpoint or whatever, but I mean, on paper, I mean, I, I, I am really, I'm surprised they were able to pull this off. I'm, I, I'm really surprised that Toronto didn't hold out uh, for something better. And, and especially after what they got for Ananobi, um, you know, that, that's really the part that blows my mind that they were able to get OG, you know, RJ Barrett and Emmanuel Cookie for, for Ananobi. And to, to, you know, as far as I'm concerned, they didn't get anywhere near that for past. No, we're not. Um, we're not right. going to go – we'll avoid uh, telling you how bad your take is on R.J. Barrett. Although he has been very good for the for the Raptors. I'll, I'll save you the time of saying that. Um, you, we mentioned Kawhi Leonard. Uh, he is relevant to this in that he just signed a three-year, 150-whatever-million-dollar contract. Mm. I don't – I mean, do, I, do you want to max out Pascal Siakam? I don't. Do I think I need to uh, with Leonard as sort of the – you know, the baseline, Leonard's obviously more injury prone. Giacomo's not a paragon of health necessarily either. Um, right. I mean, do you, do you think they need to go five years, 260 to get Giacomo? Or is there some kind of three-year, 150, four years, 180? I mean, do you think uh, any idea of what they could do in terms of the, the contract that they would need to give Giacomo to have him stay around? Yeah, I mean, I do. I kind of do. I, I think you might um, because I think that's what he wants. Um, I so I mean I guess that's the thing is the market going to bear that or I, basically it's sort of like can you if you're the Pacers can you say all right three years one fifty that's it you know like that's what we're going if you think you can do better best of luck but we think this is the best you can do. You know, and we're we're going to make that offer. We're going to stick to that offer. If you go to go someplace else, uh, we're going to live with that because you know we think you're worth the supermax supermax yearly money, but not five years. You know, and the we, Sixers we are stay, uh, the, the Sixers are perched out there. They need someone, and they're running out of guys. And yeah. they're in a position where they could easily think it's worth overpaying for Siakam um, sure. in years more in salary, whatever, however you want to look at it. Uh, so it's interesting. You make an interesting point. Yeah, I mean, the question is, how is this negotiation negotiation going to go? And do the Pacers need to top uh, or equal? They get the fifth year, which no one else can give them. Um, so that you know, but uh, the question is, do you want to do that if you're the Pacers? Right. But you may, yeah. as you know, you may need to. Yeah, I just I can't see a scenario. I think just uh, it, it seemed to me like the whole reason why Siakam put out this. Or, or his agent or whoever, you know, floated it, um, you know, to the, you know, uh, 
scoop guys of the league, you know, Woj, yeah. Shams, et cetera. You know, obviously the kind of prevailing thought there from coming from those guys uh, was, you know, Pascal is telling everybody that he's not going to resign if you trade him, that basically any, anywhere he goes. But you're, you know, I mean, I, I just um, – his agent has been everywhere today and he did a 14 minute interview with Sportsnet in Toronto. So I basically at the Rob Raptors show. And so, you know, was listening to him talk there and certainly he's happy, I, I think with this fit from a basketball standpoint. Um, but you get the impression obviously that he believes that he's worth, um, worth this money that, that his goal was, Hey, if Toronto's not going to resign me, uh, I want to go find out. This is going to be my last big contract, so I want to find out just how much I can get. You know, I, I, I want this to be my, you know, if this is going to be my last big pay, payday, I want to max it out. I don't want to um, commit to somebody um, and not find out what's out there. And so I presume that if you're the Pacers, as much as it's appealing to spend a few years playing with Tyrese, uh, you know, Pascal Siakam is 30, and, you know, it's, he's not doing this for his next deal. This is this is the one, you know, um, so, he, you know, you have to look at it as, you know, when you're Obi Toppin and you come to the Pacers and, you know, if, if they don't re-sign him, you know, Obi's like, well, great. I came out here. I averaged, you know, whatever it's going to be by the end of it, 12 and a half a game, you know, showed that I can finish anything within, you know, a foot. I can get a dunk in so many circumstances. I can run with anybody, you know, and, and I'm a better defensive player than you think. I'm not a great one, but I'm at least good enough. And Obi and go, Obi goes and gets paid, you know, and so he's 25 and that's great. That works out great for him. If you're Pascal Siakam, your sense is you, you don't have five years to go get a bigger deal after that. you got to get paid now. And so your hope is that you, as, as much as the Pacers have to make an impression on you, you want to make the impression on them that you're worth it for five more years. And so, I mean, I think that's – I imagine that's the way he's going to go into it. it it's thinking that, uh, you know, he believes that he's worth five years and he's worth all the money and he's got to prove that and, and he's not going to – commit to anybody until he's sure that no one's going to, no one's going to give him that, you know, like, and until he's tested the waters to know that nobody else is interested in him for five years. So I would presume, I mean, you might be able to get away with it, you know, if you're the Pacers, the question is, would you chance it? You know, yeah, I think you can get away with four because no one else can go more than four. The Pacers can go five, but, mm -hmm. uh, and but again, I mean, to me, uh, I mean, people, you know, used to complain that the Pacers were happy to make the playoffs and, you know, and that was, that was good enough year after year. Mm. I mean, do I want Pascal, uh, do I want to be paying 50 million for Pascal Siakam at 34 and 35? No, but number one, the salary cap's going up. And number two, I want to win. <laughs> I want to be good. I want to be good now. And that's, and he's the kind of guy yeah. you got to go get for it. Um, yeah. It, you mentioned and they can, they can pay him. Uh, the money's there. Um, even right now, if you drop the, if they, if they, they got cap holds for, you know, I, for Buddy Heald and Obi Toppin, um, that will get, that would get them below the, the, the second apron. I, there's mm -hmm. other ways to do it. That, that, that's not the only two moves they need to make. Heald's a pretty obvious one because he's an unrestricted free agent. Um, sure. you know, and Toppin, I think his cap holds like 20 million. I don't think he's going to cost 20 million. Um, no. next year. So, so again, I, I'm not saying that's like a hard, firm number, but I'm saying there are definitely ways to get him under the uh, under the cap. Um, if you're mm -hmm. the Pacers, even with um Halliburton making you know his salary uh, jumping up next year. 
yeah, no, I mean, they, they can they can make that work. I mean, it, it's going to take some doing. They're going to have to, you know, uh, make some cuts that are going to be hard to make. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they're able to, um, you know, get Buddy under. Uh, I, I wouldn't be shocked, depending on what happens here, um, you know, if they make it, you know, uh, all that kind of thing. But then, you know, they, they might be able to just go get Buddy paid. And especially if they get in the playoffs, that might be enough. Um, you know, they, they might be willing to just do that. And Tyrese will be happy to kind of salute him, send him on his way to go get some cash someplace else. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think they, they, they can make it work. Um, they, they can make the contract work. You know, they, they have the space to do it. And so it is going to be, they are going to get in that situation of spending, you know, a whole lot of money on two guys. And they're, but that's, that puts them in the same place as just about everybody else. that's a major contender in this league at this point. Uh, for the guys that are going to be, you know, the, the quote unquote, there's always winners and losers, uh, uh, for these things. Uh, I got to think Isaiah Jackson's not going to see the floor as much. Obi Thompson's right. certainly going to see his time cut. I would assume Jalen Smith would be the sort of four or five backup. I mean, they can obviously go small with May Smith at power forward. There's a million things they can do there. Uh, yeah. but, but, and then the, you know, as far as the winners go, uh, I mean, Nevhart probably moves into the starting lineup. Uh, you got mm. McConnell with a regular role now. Um, I mean, anything else you see in regards of how the, the playing time is divided up once uh, Halliburton's back and Siakam is on the roster. Sure. Now, my my presumption would be the starting five would be Halliburton, Nemhard, Neesmith, and Neesmith, Siakam, and Turner. Um, yep. And so you can you can have those two defensive hawks there at two and three. Um, and be good with that because you don't need you don't you don't even have to discuss the idea of of bringing back Buddy or or Matherin into the starting lineup. Um, so then your second unit becomes uh, McConnell, Matherin, Heald. Uh, I think Toppin and Jalen Smith is your second unit. That's a fun second unit, man. You know that's a good time. <laughs> I think uh, T.J. McConnell is going to get him some assists. Uh, not that he doesn't have plenty already, but I mean, that, that second unit is going to be able to score, uh, the basketball a lot. Um, and so, yeah, I think Isaiah Jackson probably is back in a position where he's not getting a ton of minutes, but that doesn't mean he doesn't get any, um, you know, certainly, uh, Turner and Jalen have been known to get in foul trouble. Um, so, you know, obviously, um, you know, that's a thing. And certainly there, there will be other options for Jalen Smith. So, I mean, you know, I, I just as has been the case all year when we've talked about depth, um, you know, when we've been about to bury guys and say, well, when's he going to play? Something opens up, you know, yeah. especially for McConnell and Jackson. Each of those guys um, has continually found opportunities either through injury or through foul trouble uh, to matter. Um, and so, you know, for each of those guys, you just got to presume that, that opportunities are going to present themselves. Certainly don't see uh, a lot more um, time coming for the rookies. Um, and Jarris Walker and, and Ben Shepard don't see a very quick path uh, for either of those, those guys to get on the floor, um, you know, very much. Um, so that's tough because I mean, those, they just probably aren't going to get rewarded, um, you know, that much this year. I mean, Shepard Shepherd will probably – Shepard will have to play, uh, presumably on Thursday or tomorrow night if, um, you know, presuming Siakam doesn't get there. Um, and, you know, obviously Brown being gone, it, you know, and, and Halliburton still being out, uh, presumably Ben Shepard's going to have to play some minutes. Um, but that's about the extent of it. 
I think. Um, you know, so that's that's gonna be a little bit tough for them, but obviously I think they're still enjoying themselves. They're having a good time, you know, with their mad ants assignments, um and, you know, playing when they can and, and, and I think as I've said in the past, uh and as they said they've said in the past, I think the fact that they're both going through this together helps a lot. Uh Walker in particular, I think doesn't have to, to kind of carry uh, it doesn't feel like as big of a burden, I don't think, being a lottery pick who's not playing because he's got a friend who keeps going down with him, you know, and, and those two get along really well. They go down to the Mad Ants and have a blast and go average 25 a game down there and, you know, come back and, you know, play, you know, when they get blowouts and stuff like that. So, I mean, I think they're they're still enjoying themselves. There's not a lot of uh, – pressure yet and so that kind of helps but I mean those guys aren't going to be uh with Siakam there there's just not going to be a whole lot of opportunity but um you know you move Jordan Orr along he's a winner too in this I think you know certainly uh he's a Buffalo guy so Toronto's close uh you know he's going to have another shot and and you know had had uh obviously had been initially really excited to come to the Pacers had some moments last year didn't really get the same opportunity um this year so he's certainly a winner in this um, but ultimately, you know, and, you know, there's going to be a roster spot available for somebody, um, it's somebody else. I mean, uh, I don't know if they can do the same thing with George Hill. They did with James Johnson. I don't know if, uh, you know, I imagine they still have George on speed dial. So, you know, um, you know, maybe that's an option. Maybe somebody else comes available in the buyout market. You know, there's, there is possibly a win for somebody else to get paid playing, you know, theoretically paid playing basketball this season. Um, that they might be able to scoop up. So, but I think that's kind of where, the way it shakes out from a from a playing time perspective. But I mean, you know, that first unit is tough, and that second unit, uh, that's pretty good. You know, being able to throw those five guys together, that 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 group is going to be able to do something. And where do you rank uh, after this deal? Where are the Pacers rank in the East, in your opinion? I mean, oof. They move up. I mean, you know, I, I think you know you you don't know how it's going to shake out wins and loss wise because you're already you know one game short of half a season. Um, but you know, I don't see why they're not where Philly is or where Miami is. You know, I, I think they can they can be in there. I think they certainly solidify themselves um, as the worst it can get is they stay part of the second tier. That that you know, I mean, like obviously. You know, they can go through stretches. I mean, like, you know, before he gets there, you, you you start to think of Siakam as probably better than he is. But, you know, you needed two stars. You need two stars. And certainly some of these other teams in, sec- in that, that are in that second tier have two stars. You know, Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland um, with the Knicks, with uh, with Julius Randle and, and Jalen Brunson. They've got two legit guys. Um, you know, Orlando has some dudes. Uh, Miami certainly has Jimmy Butler and Dan Matabayo. Um, so you don't immediately think, okay, well, they've finally got this. So that means they go up, you know, so far above those guys are going to be a different class. Um, you know, I wouldn't go that far, but, um, you can, you, you can foresee a scenario where they eclipse the rest of the group in that second, in that second tier that it's possible. And, you know, I, it gives you a puncher's chance against anybody in the league in a seven game series. You have a chance. That doesn't mean you're going to do it. That doesn't mean you beat Boston if you're the four. You know, and they're the one. Um, you're certainly better equipped if you happen to end up playing Milwaukee. Um, you know, and you you got a chance against Philly. Uh, as much as Embiid's a force, and he was, you know, phenomenal uh, last night against the Nuggets. Um, you know, you, you don't have a guy who can necessarily, you know, guard him. Um, but you beat them already. 
so you can. Um, they're still in a position where they can beat anybody, and that puts them in a scenario where I think they can move up in any direction. Um, there's nobody that you look at right now and say that the Pacers cannot beat that team. Yeah, it's interesting. My first thought was, are they fourth? And then it's like, boy, are they really? Do I really think they're better than Miami? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, uh, Butler's been hurt a lot, so but I mean, like, are they full strength? Are they really better? And then you think, okay, well, maybe this makes them all, you know, this makes them the favorite to be in the top six and avoid the play-in game. But then, you know, you got Miami, you got Orlando, and you got the Knicks. So if the Pacers are sixth, then one of those teams is going into the play-in. And I don't, you know, right. I, do I do I think that that's possible that, that the Pacers are better than any or all of those teams? Sure, but it's still mm-hmm. really crazy. But I uh, I think yeah. they they do. Maybe they're at the top. They're in the top half of the second half, or you know, the second tier as opposed mm. to maybe being in the bottom half of the second tier before. Um, right. but, it, but it should be a wild run uh, here to the end of the season. So Yeah, I mean, you can't it, – it, it, you know, to this point, it's like, it, you know, it, it's, it's definitely going to be a you got to play the game scenario because I don't think you can just look at rosters and say, well, that team is definitely better than that team. You know, like I think if you look at any of that – anybody in that group, Cleveland, Miami, New York, uh, Indiana, and, and Orlando, I don't think you look at any of them and say – you know, on a given night, one team cannot beat the other one, you know. And so it's just like, all right, like, you're going to pile up wins and you're going to see how they all add up at the end. Um, but, you know, I don't know how you pick among them and say, well, that team is definitely going to fall off and that team is definitely going to rise. You know, it could it, it could happen for any of them. They're, they're all good enough. Um, and they all have weaknesses. And, you know, that there are all things they're not, you know, great at. Um, so, you know, or, or just nights when they're just off. But it's just, I think... You're going to see very similar records for them. I think you know a, a, a good, a really good team is going to be the eighth seed. You know, a really, I think a really good team is going to be the eighth seed. If it's Orlando, I mean, Orlando is at the bottom of that group right now. Orlando's good. You yeah. know, it's like Orlando's no good. And so wh- whoever like uh, whoever gets the eight is not going to be a pushover. You know, I, I don't see them beating Boston um, in a seven game series. No, you know, but like. And whoever gets the eighth seed is going is should it will at least be able to take a game, you know, in in a series with the Celtics. Like they're 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 not going to be pushovers, and there is not going to be a lot of difference between four and eight. There just isn't, you know. Yeah, and and maybe, maybe the Pacers can rise up above that and kind of solidify themselves at four and create some space between four, five, six, but probably not because I think the Knicks are going to be good. You know, I, I think you know adding in and Obi goes a long way for them. You know, Cleveland still like you. You you could argue, you know, Mitchell. You know, Mitch. You could put Mitchell and Butler and say, okay, you know, those are actually the two best players out of that group. You know, that if you if you rank everybody from you know all, all of the players in that group of five, that Donovan Mitchell's the best player. You know, I think you made that argument. Uh, or you could make the argument that Jimmy Butler's the best player, um, and so that gives them a punch chance. So you know, like. Any, I mean, anything. It, it would not surprise me one bit, no matter how that group shakes out. Yeah, but I, I think this know. gives you a belief that if things can come together, that the Pacers can end up the four, and you know, or, or even end up competing with Philly from a standing standpoint. You know, I'd still take Philly over them just because I think they have the best player. You know, the better. You know, like out of those two teams, you know, Joel Embiid is the best player. Um, yeah. But. You know, like, again, having a guy like Siakam, it's like, okay, just a lot more things become possible. 
Yeah, I mean, I, maybe the Pacers are the losers in this trade because it'll make it harder for them to get that first round matchup with with Milwaukee, which is in the bag uh, because of the way the record exactly that one's already so, over. Yeah, so you, we, then yeah, you, you just gotta, inherit the second seed. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you got to think about it from that standpoint, too. All right, well, that's the, we'll wrap up our emergency pod. Go to IndyStar.com for all of Dustin's work. Should also note, Dustin is the only uh, local media uh, person on the road trip currently with the Pacers. Um, we ex- It's possible that Siakam will be there tomorrow. Uh, well, I guess we're not expecting him to play tomorrow. We are expecting him to play in Portland, so Dustin should be there for that. Are we expecting? Uh, I mean, I, anything could happen as far as this is concerned. I would be surprised if he's not there by Phoenix. But exactly, and then I, we would hope that the deal will be completed in terms of the like the actual mechanics in terms of how the league works. You got to go through the they have to go through step by step in terms before they mm-hmm. can talk about them. But we're but we're hoping the deal is done by morning, so it's a shoot around. Um, you know, you can come to IndyStar.com, be the, the the first place to get what. Uh, Rick Carlisle and what the other Pacers think about this deal. And if it's not a shoot around, it'll certainly be after uh, the game uh, tomorrow night. Uh, So so again, keep coming to IndyStar.com and thank you for listening. 